Did you know you can get all of our podcasts and meditations on our new podcast app? Just head over to RoarAttractionPodcast.com and tap the link to download on the Google Play Store or the App Store. For the world's best conscious love and sex podcasts and meditations at your fingertips, head over to RoarAttractionPodcast.com to get the app and please tell at least one friend to do the same. Thank you so much. Change the way you think about yourself and relationships forever. Your weekly dose of mind-opening audio goodness starts here with the Raw Attraction Magazine podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Raw Attraction Magazine podcast. I'm sat here with London Ferry. Um, We're going to be podcasting today about various different things with to do with relationships showing up and living your life as if you mean it um amongst other things so hello to you it's the london ferry hello steve how are you doing very very well so today let's start with an introduction to yourself and maybe i did this before with peter sage on a podcast i also asked him about his relationships history um, which I think is quite useful for people to come in and learn because we've all had our relationship story and it makes up who we are uh, and people get a better understanding of, of what's been happening for you. So perhaps if you want to tell people about what you do and a bit about your previous relationships and we can get a better understanding of who who you are. Definitely. Thanks, Steve. So my name is London Ferry and uh, I teach people how to get in touch with their authentic desire and to live from that place. So the very, very essence of my work is for people to tune in to who they are and what they want and to begin to put that into their lives. Um, So what I see around me is a lot of people trying to conform, trying to be normal, trying to fit into a box created by society or by someone else or by the groups that they belong to. And naturally enough, when you try and fit into a box, you either have to squeeze yourself in, which is uncomfortable, or you have to chop a bit of yourself off, which is painful. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to be all of who you are from that, from that place of wanting to conform. At the same time, I totally respect the desire to conform. Basically, one of my beliefs is that as human beings, we all wish to belong and that belonging is a very important part of being human. I don't mean belonging to someone. I mean just belonging, feeling that we fit in, feeling that we are acceptable, feeling that we're okay. And of course, it's you know self-evident, I think, that most people, including me, probably you, don't feel like that most of the time. They don't feel okay. They feel uh, some degree of shame, as Brené Brown defines it. Shame is feeling I am not enough. Um, And one of the the reasons for that, I think, is that um, in groups, we have to conform to a certain extent. And even if we find a really awesome, like people who belong to Burning Man community, which is a really self-expressive, vibrant community, but there are still certain things that are kind of out of bounds. So um, a big theme for me is how we can be real, how we can be true to who we are and true to what we want. And at the same time, be in in relationships and in community, that means that we feel that sense of belonging and acceptance, even if some of what we feel, some of what we want is kind of unusual or unexpected for people. So that's a big theme for me. And the reason it's a big theme for me is basically like you asked me about my relationship history, and I think it's a really good question. Um, In my 20s, I didn't really fit in at all. Like when I was at university, it's really struggling to kind of even within the sort of group that I ostensibly belonged to, uh, which was kind of a sort of kind of slightly smart ass kind of um, indie, you know, very into music, very into um, intellectual chatter um and a bit into psychedelics and you know in that within that group i fit in up to a point but i never quite felt like i belonged fully and so there was this craving in me this searching for a place where i belonged 
and and especially in my family i didn't really like i was i was i think they call it in, in england and maybe in the states too the black sheep the one that kind of does odd things and the family doesn't really get it and doesn't really get where you fit in and doesn't really know what to do with you so i was very much that kind of um young person and then i went to japan to teach english and while i was there i met a very lovely woman um and we fell in love and she came back to England with me and my family just my family sort of fell in love with her, basically. And because they fell in love with her and they were so happy that I was in this relationship and I was talking about getting married and having kids that they sort of showered me with approval. So I got that feeling for the first time, like, oh, I belong. I belong in this family. They approve of me at last. And so this is why I think I'm so sympathetic to an understanding of that that longing to belong. That, that urge to be part of something and to feel accepted. Because when I got that from my family, I basically would do anything to keep it. And what I ended up doing was I married her. And even though I loved her and we had a great relationship, I knew it wasn't right for me to marry her. You know, I was very sexually inexperienced. I had a lot of desire to explore. I was curious about group sex, kinky sex, um, non-monogamy there was curiosities but I just I just basically thought on some level I'm not I'm not good enough to have all these things so I better settle for this I really better settle for this because here's a great woman if I lose her I'll never have another one and my family now cares about me because um I've got this good relationship and they can see that I'm on the path that they approve of so I went ahead with the marriage and of course, you know, you know the story. We all know the story. Um, some infidelity, lots of arguments, lots of me railing against what I perceived as the constriction of the relationship, which obviously I put that constriction in place by walking down the aisle with this woman. Uh, it wasn't her fault. You know, she was very honest. She was very, in a way, very straightforward. She was just looking for a man to have a family with. Uh, and she had a really, really big heart. And, you know, it wasn't her fault in any way. But I I wasn't really true to myself. I kind of knew, like I kind of knew when I was walking down the aisle that I shouldn't be doing it. I kind of knew all the way along that it wasn't the right place for me to be. Um, but I just went ahead with it anyway. Because it was really important to me to be accepted. And that was the first time I'd had that feeling within my family. So, So inevitably enough, after several years of sort of struggling to be together and to have all of our needs met, which wasn't possible because then our needs were in contradiction with each other. We separated. And at that point I made a commitment to myself that I would, um, that I would be true to myself and that I would find a way. Um, I would find people that I could connect with and I would find communities that I could belong to where I didn't have to compromise so much. Uh, that I would that I would no longer be happy and that's kind of that's at the very heart of what I teach I teach people that they can have more of what they want but first they have to get in touch with it and the process of getting touch in touch with it is a process of getting in touch with themselves and that process is quite intense and then from that place of being in touch with themselves and in touch with what they want they can then go out and be in relationship with others. And from that place, they'll learn more about themselves. But before they're in touch with themselves on a basic level, any relationship is going to basically just fall into certain patterns. And like I, I listened to the podcast you did with Keith a few weeks ago. It's a really awesome one. And it talks about, you know, sacred relationship and how relationship, everything in relationship is showing you something about yourself. And I, 100% agree and resonate with that. The problem is I have enough experience of this personally to know that when I was not really in touch with myself, who I was and who and what I wanted enough, enough to sort of, I, I just wasn't enough in touch with those things. Then I just got stuck in the patterns. So I wasn't able to use what was coming up in the relationship to help myself grow and become more of myself. I would just get stuck in patterns of blaming and shaming because I was really far from myself. And so for me, 
uh, it's really important that we are working to getting closer to ourselves uh, and, and that will change the nature of our relating very deeply. Mm. Um, yeah, one question that comes to mind now is uh, how, how can people do that? Because we are so stuck in a society and even with friends of just there's always seemingly one or two different ways of doing things and, and knowing what you truly want and desire is really hard for example the choice on offer of different types of relationships we can have monogamous polyamorous um like monogamish people are just having like all these different types of relationships and different types of sex is it is it really about acknowledging what is on offer out there and trying to how do you really work out what is true for you yeah it's a really good question steve thank you um so yeah i mean you first of all you put your finger on something um that makes this you know an interesting challenge so we say i, I wouldn't say i don't want to say it makes it difficult because i don't believe it's that difficult but it is an interesting challenge and that is that we're um we're quite prescribed what we're allowed to want so that for example we talk about sexual orientation in the 1940s and 50s uh, dr alfred kinsey researched thoroughly and extensively the sexual behavior of human beings in america and from that he developed a thing that's called the kinsey scale from zero which is totally heterosexual to six, which is totally homosexual. And what he found was that in terms of people's action, what they actually did in bed, not what they said about themselves, not what they, not how they identified, but actually what they did, almost everyone was between one and five. Very few people were zeros and sixes. He calls them true types. So a true type heterosexual and a true type homosexual. They're statistically very low in number. And yet, when we look around now, 60 years later after his research was completed and published and you know it's 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 been quite well validated he was very thorough in his research still 60 years later we're talking about gay and straight and maybe if we're lucky we're talking a bit about bisexual whereas actually what he's shown is that the bi bisexual spectrum the spectrum of things in between gay and straight is the majority area for people it's where most people fall so so we have this problem. We have this basic problem in our way of um, understanding things that puts a lot of pressure on people to conform to binaries, gay, straight, uh, black, white, man, woman. Whereas actually my experience is that everything exists on spectrums. So he's already shown and shown statistically and scientifically that sexual orientation exists on a spectrum and it follows something of a bell curve. So actually most people are somewhere in the middle. Now, if we apply that to, for example, relationship types, we can then look at, rather than looking at, okay, what are the choices? Am I going to be monogamous or am I going to be polyamorous? Okay, those are, that's a binary. But if we, take, if, if we see that actually within that, those are two endpoints of a spectrum or a scale and that there's a whole range of options in the middle, then we can start to give ourselves permission to explore creatively what it is we want. So when I talk, like when I do courses on relationships, for example, I don't talk about, I don't call them non-monogamy or polyamory courses, although we talk a lot about that in the courses. I call them creative relationships. And I talk about things like cuddle friendships. So what is a cuddle friendship? Cuddle friendship is a kind of friendship where you're very close with someone and probably your hearts are very open to each other. And you're physically in contact a lot through cuddling, touch, maybe even kissing. But it doesn't go any further than that. And that's something you've agreed between you for whatever reasons suit you. Um, now, that kind of intimacy and that kind of closeness, a lot of people really crave it. And in the monogamous world, you're only really kind of allowed, quote unquote, allowed to get that from your partner. So your partner is supposed to fulfill that desire for closeness and you're supposed to have sexual passion, and they're supposed to be a domestic god or goddess, and they're supposed to be this, and they're supposed to be that. And we end up with just this big pile of expectations on one relationship. Now, I say, even if you're, in terms of where you decide to put your sexual contact, 
you're completely monogamous. You only want to be sexual with one person. I'm totally cool with that. But to then put all these other expectations on the relationship, to me, it's uncreative. We've, we've just, we've then made a box called monogamy and we've chucked everything in it. So maybe you could have that conversation with your partner and say, hey, I, I really feel like I would like to be physically close with this other person. I absolutely commit to not being sexual with them because I'm monogamous and I'm committed to you. Now that's a, you know, an unusual position because we, we've been given such a narrow range of options. And yet, for a lot of people, that can work really well. And of course, it can bring up stuff. It can bring up jealousy and some confusion for people. But we can also work through that. But I just wanted to come back to what you actually asked me, because I think it's really interesting, is how do we actually get in touch with ourselves? So I think, in a way, we're often in, we're often in touch with ourselves but we can't quite hear the voice. Um, so for me, the first stage is, is really about permission. We need to give ourselves permission to feel how we feel, think how we think, and want what we want. And that's a very, very important step. One of the things that I think happens in mainstream society is we're, being, we're not being given that permission. And that's where I think the sort of narrow range of options comes from, is we're only being given permission for... A, B, and C, but actually we feel like D, E, F, and G as well. So the first thing we need to do is we really need to give ourselves permission. We need to say, I'm okay as I am, and I want to get in touch with more of who I am and more of what I want. And from that place, we can begin to see, ah, oh, okay, I'm interested in this. And it might be as simple as, I want to do a carpentry course. At, there's this really, really awesome book called The Artist's Way, which is a 12-week personal development course, ostensibly for people who want to be artists, but actually for anyone who wants to get in touch with their creativity. And she talks a lot about this, about how people have denied themselves or given themselves no permission to pursue the things they're interested in. The reason I mention it is because I'm a, I'm a sexuality and relationship coach. She's a person working with people to help them realize their creativity. And to me, they're the same thing. But she talks about working with yourself and doing creative projects, um, keeping a journal and those kinds of things. And in a way, I think sometimes when we, we talk a lot about sex and relationships, we focus on the relationship part. Whereas actually what really excites and interests me is focusing in on the relationship with myself and using that as a starting point and getting more in touch with my creativity, giving myself more permission to, to feel how I feel, to be who I want to be, and then to step into relationship from there, and then it's a very different starting point. Yeah, I agree definitely that it's a different starting point, especially when you're not with a partner and you're perhaps single for a while, like I, I was for a long time. Um, and then you step into a relationship, and then you might start, I don't know, doing things a little differently because you're worried about how your partner thinks because you might want something that might make them jealous or cause a, a feeling that you don't particularly want to have to deal with or, or something like this. So how do we stop when we step into a relationship? Um, how do we stop censoring ourselves from what we truly want it's another awesome question and i really want to answer it but i just want to back up a little bit first um so if when i finish whatever i'm going to say remind me if i haven't answered that question we'll come back to it because um, you said that you know when we're single we can really sort of get in touch with ourselves and that's definitely true and for anybody who's listening to this podcast who's single first of all i salute you you know there's a lot of pressure to be in relationship in this society and people who are single, especially people who are single by choice, like I really, I really salute you for your courage in going on that journey of, of being, you know, of being alive and being single. Because I think there's pressure from all sides to kind of be in a relationship and for someone to complete you and all of those things. So that's a great starting point. And if you're single and you're sexually active and you're having a great time and you're enjoying all of the learning and all of the self-exploration that comes with being single and sexually active, or if you're single and celibate by choice, great, you know, fantastic. 
But there are a couple of other situations. One is where you're single, not by choice. Um, and I also salute you if you're single, not by choice, and you're looking for a partner and you're struggling with that. The same things apply, in my opinion. So a lot of the time, you know, the advice that we get from Cosmopolitan or other mainstream publications is spruce up your image, work on your conversational skills, work on your chat up lines, and you'll meet someone. And what we what we see is, or certainly what I see in the people who come to me and, and I, I coach and work with, is that that's not true. It's just not true that it doesn't make any difference what we do because the outside can't fix the inside. In fact, it's sort of the other way around. I mean, of course, they're in a dynamic relationship. So how we feel on the inside reflects on the outside and how we dress and how we present ourselves then impacts on the inside. So it's not that they're mutually exclusive. But I think that working exclusive, working entirely on the outside, on the surface, doesn't get us where we need to go. We have to go inside and look at the depths of what's happening. So if, for example, you're not attracting people or you're attracting people consistently who are unavailable or you're attracting people who come, you have sex with them a couple of times and then they leave or they're commitment phobic. I mean, there's all sorts of different things that you could be attracting into your life or you're just not attracting anyone. Rather than looking at the surface and saying, okay, how can I dress better and what things can I do and what tricks can I pull and what things shouldn't I say and what things should I say to change this situation? My invitation would be, to have a look at what beliefs you have, what is limiting you from attracting a person who wants to make a commitment with you, what um, what is causing behaviours that that prevent intimacy between you and another. So those are the kinds of questions that I would ask someone if I'm coaching them, and gently teasing out and gently exploring what is it within myself that is causing me to attract certain things into my life. And ultimately this all boils down to the law of attraction. You know, the law of attraction has been written about quite extensively for the last 30, 40 years. And it hasn't stopped being relevant because it's one of the sort of founding principles of, of everything. Um, we, we are vibrational beings. And so when we're vibrating at a certain frequency, so if we're vi vibrating at the frequency of, not good enough, then we will constantly get things coming into our life to reinforce that frequency. And so the way to, to change that is to change the frequency. Having said that, that's not so easy. Obviously, we will come on to talk about that a little bit in a minute. But I also want to mention people who are in relationship who are not happy. Uh, a friend of mine is a, a love and relationship coach, and she reckons 90% all right, just stop and listen to that again. 90% of people in relationships are not happy. I find that kind of shocking, and I also find it kind of true to my experience. So for those people who are in relationships and who are not happy, there's definitely some important work that needs to be done. Now, we all have choices. You know, if, for example bringing up your kids if you're married with kids or not married with kids if bringing up your kids well is more important for you than being happy then okay i respect that the problem is kids feel everything so if you're really unhappy and if your relationship is shot and you're not relating well and you're fighting a lot or even not fighting a lot but you're not getting along and there isn't harmony in the house your children will feel that so one of the biggest illusions that people have is well you know when the kids get big enough I'll divorce or I'll leave my husband or wife. And the problem is when the kids get big enough, they're also pretty traumatized by having lived in an unhappy household for 10 or 15 or 20 years. They feel everything. So, so it's important to remember that you're not doing anyone any favors by being unhappy in a relationship. And the fact that you've got children and that you're protecting the children by not divorcing or not separating, I think it's a bit of a myth because they can really feel the unhappiness in you and in your partner and and that will transmit to them and also you're giving them a blueprint that in order to be in relationship you have to be unhappy so they will then go into their early relationships you know when they get old enough to have boyfriends and girlfriends they will go into their relationships thinking that unconsciously 
So you're basically inculcating a negative belief in your children because you have that negative belief in yourself. So if you're one of those people who is in a relationship and isn't happy, I encourage you to start looking at what changes you can make. For many people, actually, some, some basic changes to the relationship can improve the situation considerably. It's not that everyone has to leave their relationships. The problem is you're going to have to allow the possibility that the relationship is not working at a fundamental level and that it would be better for both of you if you left. You have to allow that possibility, but I don't say at all that that's the only possibility. Each situation is unique. Sometimes some adjustments some changes in your communication, going to see a therapist, um, even sometimes for some people, um, opening up the relationship or exploring different area of sexuality. I mean, for a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people say that they were kind of frustrated and unhappy and then they suddenly started exploring something like kink and it opened up a whole new avenue in their relationship and it gave them what they were missing. So whatever it is, the first thing to do is be honest with yourself and say, okay, where am I? Where am I at? Am I happy? And if you're happy, great. You know, I always say to people, if things are good, don't worry, sit back, enjoy them, revel in the fact that this bit of your life is working well because things change often and I, I think we don't celebrate enough. So if something's good, celebrate it, enjoy it, revel in it, live it. But if something is not good in any area of your life, and this is just as true for relationships, for work, for, for your relationship with your family, for your health, when you notice that something isn't good in your life and you're not happy about it, Start to look at what it is you want and start to get in touch with what changes you can make that would enable you to be more happy. Because I really believe, I honestly believe that we're here to live happy lives. We're here to live joyful, almost, I, I would almost go as far as to say we're here to live ecstatic lives. But that's a big ask for people if they're not happy to say, okay, you're supposed to be ecstatic. It kind of puts a pressure on people. So I would start step by step by saying, okay, where am I not happy and how can I change that? What changes can I make to improve my situation to feel better, to feel better in my relationships, to feel better in myself? Mm. Yeah, it's certainly, uh, I think in relationship, it's important to look at what what is bubbling to the surface and looking at these, like you mentioned, the, the deeper issues that lie underneath which are the cause for the unhappiness? What was it? What is it that you're not giving to yourself? Um, mm -hmm. And quite often, it's just that honesty and truth of and speaking it to yourself and to the people around you. Because we um, would you agree that we withhold our truth so much? Definitely, and that and that kind of nicely relates to your previous question. You know, like you said that you might want to ask for something in a relationship, but you know that it's going to cause us, or you, you think it's going to cause a certain response, because truth is we never fully know what the response is going to be. Mm. But let's say it's similar to something else you've asked for before. Like, to give just a really simple example, you're a, um, you're a guy and you're with a girl and you want to go out, hang out with your mates on a Friday night, but you sort of know that your girlfriend really likes to spend Friday nights home with you having dinner. But this Friday night, you really want to hang out with your mates, but you're kind of afraid to ask because you're afraid that it's going to piss her off, make her jealous, make her sad, or she's just going to say yes to please you and not because she's really okay with that. So that's just a really, really simple example of how we might withhold. Um, the problem is we're just not very good at withholding. So it's it's understandable. Like, I, I don't want anyone to feel like I'm criticizing them or I'm judging them for withholding because it's really, really natural. It's natural to take care of each other. So it's natural to want um, not to do things that's going to upset someone you love. I, I totally understand that. I respect it. It comes from a good place. The problem is that we're just not very good at withholding. So when we withhold, it's like we're holding something, we're carrying it. It's like we're carrying some extra weight. And that is felt in every area of the relationship. And so what tends to happen is patterns will, it, will start to build up. 
where one person would withhold and then they'll become resentful. And that resentment can often be incredibly subtle, but the other will then feel it. So they'll start to feel uncomfortable. So they'll maybe then provoke or push or they'll start withholding because they'll, they'll sense that something's wrong and they won't know what. And so you end up stuck in this pattern of non-communication uh, and not being authentic and not really showing up for each other. And of course, what then usually happens is you have a massive bust up. And the reason I think a lot of the time that people talk about kind of post-argument sex being so great is because the air gets cleared in the bust up and then you, and then you have sex and it's great. However, it's hard work going through those cycles of withholding, getting frustrated, becoming resentful, getting to a boiling point, having a bust up until the next loop. It's not a great way. It's not a great way to relate. It takes a lot of energy. It's hard work. It's forgivable and it's better than never having that bust up and never clearing the air. But ultimately, we want to be able to show up earlier than that, you know, because also when we're triggered, when we're angry, when we're upset, when we're super jealous, we're not really thinking clearly. So the other thing that can happen and often does is when you have that bust up, you you do more damage because you say things that you don't really mean. You mean them in that moment because you're fucking pissed off. But you don't really mean them. You don't really want to say that thing to that person that you actually love. And in doing that, you create a deeper problem that then needs to be solved. And they can then get stuck in the same patterns of withholding and resentment and so on. So I would say that it's not an optimal way to kind of reach a boiling point and then have a big argument. Um, much better to be able to have good, clear communication between you. And yes, you have to sort of give yourself permission to say something that your beloved might not like. Um, and they have to give you permission to do that too. And they have to give themselves permission to do the same for you. And for me, that's a very loving act. So when we really, when we really give each other permission to speak from that place of truth and authenticity, we're saying, I want you as you are, even though some bits of you might piss me off, might challenge me, might trigger me, might be difficult for me to stomach. I still want you as you are, because I'd rather have you as you are than have a fake version of you. And in a way, that to me is is really a very loving space from which to approach another. We're saying, I accept you whole. We're not saying don't do any work on yourself, don't change the things you're not happy about. But we are saying, even though there are things you want to change, even though there are things I struggle with, I accept you as you are. And that's a huge gift. So from that starting point, we can begin dialogue around what we want and, uh, and an honest dialogue. Now, it doesn't mean that we always get everything we want. It's okay to compromise. I'm really okay with compromising. I think if you want to relate to another and you want to be super close with someone, some compromise is necessary. Partly because physical reality, you know, we exist in space-time continuum. So we only have this many hours in the day. I might really, really, really want to go to Bali for the weekend, but I live in England. So going to Bali for the weekend isn't feasible. Well, reality check on that one. I exist in I exist in the physical world and I'm I'm constrained by that. You know, if I want to fly, I'm not just going to be able to flap my arms. I mean, some people probably say if you if you flap them with enough belief, you will. But I'm I'm really working on the basis that you know we are in this three dimensional, four dimensional physical reality, and so we do have to accept certain limitations, which means sometimes we need to make compromises, and I'm okay with that. But a lot of the time people are compromising on things that are really, really important to them because they're not getting in touch with what's true for them. They're not giving themselves permission to speak that truth. And so they're not, you know, th those compromises, I think they hurt. They really, really hurt. And I, I want to encourage people not to make those kind of compromises, but to be able to show up for each other and ask for what they need and then navigate from there with mutual respect. And, you know, there is space for a bit of compromise. There is space for sometimes letting something go because, OK, it's actually too much for my partner right now. You know, like, if, for example, I want to I, I want to be in an open relationship. 
and I want to go out and go to a bar and take someone home or go to their home and have sex with them. But all my partner can really handle right now is me going to a bar, kissing someone and then coming back to them. Okay, that will be a compromise for me because I'm clear that I want more. But if I don't make that compromise, I'm probably going to bust the relationship with my partner. So I get to choose. Do I want to make a compromise? And probably, all being well, you know, keep the relationship in good shape and hopefully move slowly and lovingly in the direction of what I want. Or do I want to just say, screw it, I'm going to go for what I want at the expense of my relationship. And it's not that one choice is better than the other. We just need to know that we're making a choice. And sometimes a little bit of compromise will actually take us where we need to go and have the best of all possible worlds in the end. So, you know, in that in that scenario, you go to the bar, you kiss someone, you come home, your partner got super jealous, but you work through it. The next time it happens, you do the same. You, put, you come home, your partner's a bit less jealous. Third time, less jealous still. Fourth time, they're not even bothered. At that point, you might say, okay, can I go a bit further now? At that point, your partner's probably open to that. But if you just went uncompromisingly, no, I'm going to go out, I'm going to have sex with someone else, and if you don't like it, you can suck it up, that's probably going to be a deal breaker. So, you know, I'm not at all advocating just blithely doing what you want. It's really important that we put what we want into the framework of our lives, our commitments, our responsibilities, our relationships, and also the constraints of physical reality. Yeah, um, just a point on the on the communication of of when you're in a relationship of explaining what you want. Uh, do you think it's important, especially when it's something, or even if it's as trivial as going down to the local bar to watch a game with your friends or just to catch up mm-hmm. to an extreme of wanting to sleep with a new person which might be new for, new for you in that relationship. Do you think it's important to explain why you want these things, not only for yourself but for your partner? Um, why is it important for you to go and meet your friends? Why is it important for you to go and sleep with a new person just so there's clarification on the, on the communication is there important subtleties that we need to remember when um, speaking the truth to someone or are we just not responsible for anyone else's feelings well there's quite a few questions there the thing is I I don't really like the idea that we're responsible for someone else's feelings. I believe we're responsible for ourselves and um, we make commitments. We can make commitments from that place of self-responsibility. So one of the challenges that we have is that we're, we're being, broadly speaking, we're being encouraged towards more codependent relationships where we are really responsible for each other's feelings and for making everything okay for the other. And I, I don't find that to be a helpful place uh, for conscious relating if we really want to be conscious in our relationships then I don't I don't think we can be responsible for the other we can only really be responsible for ourselves that doesn't mean we don't have commitments I mean being responsible for myself doesn't mean I go and do what I want it means that I am in touch with what I feel what I want uh, and and I'm yeah when I meet my beloved I, I'm taking responsibility for me and they're taking responsibility for them. And when we meet from that place, the dynamics are just very different. So, and of course it's not, again, it's a spectrum, you know, it's, it's not that there's the black and white of being totally responsible for myself or feeling massively responsible for the other. We're all somewhere along that spectrum, somewhere in between those two points, and that's okay. Um, so for me, I, I don't want to have to explain why I want something. I just want it. You know, like if it was if it was a jacket, I wouldn't explain why I want that jacket. I don't think anyone would ask me why. They might say you don't need a jacket. You've got five jackets already, but they're not going to say, why do you like that jacket? They're just going to say, oh, he likes that jacket. Full stop. Now, when it comes to sex or when it comes to spending time outside of a relationship, suddenly we feel this massive need to justify what we want. And I. I don't know how helpful that is, really. 
because I want to hang out with my mates is I want to hang out with my mates. I shouldn't need to explain that. Where we start to need to explain it is exactly in that point that you described, which is where we're taking responsibility for the other. So if I'm taking responsibility for my partner, then I'm before I've even thought I want to hang out with my mates, I'm thinking, but she's not going to like it because she's going to want my time for her. And she's not going to, now this isn't always true, but it's often true. And this is often the kind of dialogue that we, that we have in our heads before we've even spoken to the other. Now it might be, you know, you might be lucky enough to have a partner who's really happy for you to hang out with your mates because they see that that makes you happy. Ultimately, you know, for me, what's my real commitment to my partnership? Well, I want to see my partner happy and I want to, I want to, I want to create a relationship. I want to create a shape for the relationship and I want to create a way of relating. That means that we're both happy and that's my commitment. I've made a commitment to that in my relationships to happiness. I'm not responsible for my partner's happiness. So if I want to do something and that does cause a response that causes my partner to feel unhappy. I'm not responsible for that, but I have made a commitment to us being happy each individually and together. So then we navigate from that place, from that place of I'm responsible for myself and I've made a commitment to you. Okay. We navigate through things. So we talk about things we want to do. If we both want to do them, that's easy. But if one of them, if one of us wants to do something and the other one's not in the least bit bothered by it, that's easy. But if one of us wants to do something and the other one is upset by that, that's where the navigation comes in. And yeah, we've, we've made a commitment to take care of each other, to love each other, to make each other to, sorry, I don't want to say make each other happy, but to be happy together, then we're going to have to navigate those difficult things. But if we start navigating from the place of my, my responsibility is to make you happy. My responsibility is to you. We're always going to be struggling. So basically we're balancing. We're balancing what we want and what we need with what the relationship wants and what it needs. And in that balancing, we're hopefully having some intelligent, thoughtful and caring conversations with each other. Mm. Yeah, I completely understand and agree with where you're coming from there. There's always... In relationships, I think on the podcast, the first podcast we did with Teal, she says that a relationship or love specifically is designed to throw up everything that love is not. Um, and these especially come up in these these types of communication where what we've just mentioned. And I remember speaking to a guy recently as well that uh, that we have as humans and our path as in into childhood and as a young adult, we have one of five different wounds, which often get thrown up in these types of situation. He, he said the wounds were uh, that of abandonment, betrayal, rejection, humiliation, and injustice. Mm -hmm. And one of these will always we tend to associate ourselves with one of these more than the other. For mm -hmm. me, it's probably abandonment. I don't know what it might be for you, but we also, would you agree? We also need this depth of care of understanding of these wounds of what it is to be in a human relationship. And there are extremely tough things that we have to go through together. How much of the responsibility is in the relationship to deal with these wounds and how much of it lies on you, on yourself to deal with these wounds? Uh, it's another excellent question, Steve. Thank you. Um, so I think that the answer to that question is it's up to you. What I see a lot is um, what I would call like tacit expectation. So an example of that would be my expectation is that my problems are mine to deal with and, and I'm responsible for them. And my partner's expectation might be that any stuff that comes up for her and any problems that she has are our problems to deal with. And I'm somehow responsible for that as well. Now, neither of those is right or wrong. Um, a relationship can hold a lot and a relationship can heal a lot. 
and if you're in the kind of relationship that has the potential and capacity for healing and you're both agreeable to that being one of the things that happens in the relationship, then that's great. But you have to be agreeable to it. And far too often, and again, this comes from a lot of sort of societal pressure and a lot of stuff in the media telling us how relationships are supposed to be and giving us no choices. So, again, we need to be honest. We need to be honest with each other. We need to say what we expect, what we understand a relationship to be, what we feel it can hold. And it might be that in the course of exploring those expectations, we discover that we're really quite incompatible. Unfortunate, but that can happen. And in a way, I always say to people when they reach a point like that, well, do you really want to be in a relationship with someone that you're incompatible with, with whom you have very different core beliefs? If your core beliefs about relationship are one thing, and your partner has core beliefs that are totally in contradiction to that. That's a lot of compromise. One of you or both of you is going to have to make a lot of compromise to meet in the middle. Or you're going to have to meet at one end, like closer to what one person believes or closer to what the other person believes. And one of you or both of you is not going to be happy. If, however, you've got sort of reasonably aligned expectations, then great. And if one of those expectations is that the relationship is not there to heal you, and it's not responsible for that, then it might be that the most supportive thing for you to do is each or both, one or both of you, go and see a therapist. That might be the thing that you need to take the weight off your relationship. But you can only know that if you know what you're each expecting a relationship to be. And I don't say there are any rights and wrongs in this. I just say it's up to you. But until you've had those conversations, until you really understand those expectations that are between you, it's very hard to know. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I just want to recognize for the people listening as well, just like we all have our own shit. Like we we have a tremendous amount that's going to be thrown up in a relationship. I don't, I don't care who you are. Um, Definitely. And uh, like Ferry mentioned it, we have to recognize this is a whole bunch of shit that's going to be there and how how we deal with it is and it is perfectly fine for you to get a coach uh, or a therapist to to help you become better in relationship this is in people get business coaches people get personal trainers for fitness and i i th- thoroughly believe we all kind of actually do need a coach a relationship coach because um it's, it's t- such a huge part of all of our lives yet we have no no education around it um absolutely with podcasts like this we're trying to re-educate and with the work you do and other people out there but there's, there's a growing need for us all to become more aware of what the healing that needs to be done within the relationship or, or within yourself uh in order to move forward and have happier relationships definitely and i think you know for me like having grown up in london so i remember when i was sort of younger it was really normal for new yorkers to have a therapist and everyone in london thought that was a bit funny now it's pretty normal like pretty much everyone i know either has had or does have a therapist in london and i go to the czech republic a lot and in the czech republic it's really really weird to have a therapist and you have a therapist you're a bit crazy which is what we believed in london kind of 25 years ago and what they believed in New York like 50 years ago. So, you know, gradually there's less and less shame for people in seeing therapists and seeing coaches and getting relationship advice, uh, bespoke relationship advice that's unique to them. And yeah, basically just what you said, Steve, I really like the analogy that in, in lots of other areas, you know, if I want to get good at cooking, I'll either buy a book or go on a course. I won't think proudly, well, I should just know how to do this. I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. And and yet when it comes to relationships, that's basically what we do. We, we go in a place of pride and effectively a place of, you know, like an egoic place. And we say, I know how to do this, but we don't know how to do it because if we knew how to do it, we'd be doing it better. So I think reaching out for help is, is really a wonderful thing. And if you're the kind of person who gets help from books, great. You know, there are tons of really good books out there. And you will know when you start reading that book, does it speak to you? Does it resonate? Or does it just make you feel a bit shit? You don't want that. You know, you need things that are going to boost your confidence, give you permission to 
you know, to get more in touch with yourself. And it's the same with a coach or a therapist. You know, if you walk in the room and the first thing you think is, I don't really like this person. There's your answer right there. Turn right back out and walk out again. But if you if you if you look at them and you think, yeah, yeah, or, or you speak to them on the phone, and you think, yeah, I like what they're saying. What 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 they're speaking about makes sense to me. It resonates. And this is a this is a word I use a lot. I really I really like it. Resonates. We resonate different frequencies. It's literally like like a vi- like the vibrational frequency. So when someone resonates, it's either because they're saying things that we believe or they're saying things we want to believe. And particularly with a coach or a therapist, when there's a resonance, they are saying the things that we need to hear. They are, they are teaching us the things that are useful for us so we can become more like we want to be. So, yeah, I'm all for it, really. I'm all for it. Mm. Well, on that note, we shall end. I think, thank you for your time. It's been incredibly good wisdom for everyone to be listening to you today so thank you for that um for the listeners out there how can they find about you uh, you've got a website or two that people can mm-hmm. find you on yeah so i've got i've got two websites um my my work in um relationship coaching and bdsm and non-monogamy and creative relating is all covered on my individual website which is londonfairy.co.uk that's l-o-n-d-o-n f-a-e-r-i-e dot co dot uk londonfairy dot co dot uk and then i also do group work so i do workshops uh, and events exploring these themes um and you can find out all about those at sacredpleasures.co.uk um at the moment the group work is happening in london prague and a little bit in berlin um and with the individual work if it's coaching i can do it with anyone anywhere because i can do it over skype and if it's body based touch based then i mainly do that in london but i can travel uh if if circumstances permit great well thank you for your time again and uh, no doubt we'll be hearing from you again very soon Definitely. Thanks so much, Steve. Did you know you can get all of our podcasts and meditations on our new podcast app? Just head over to RoraChashanPodcast.com and tap the link to download on the Google Play Store or the App Store. For the world's best conscious love and sex podcasts and meditations at your fingertips, head over to RoraChashanPodcast.com to get the app and please tell at least one friend to do the same. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Raw Attraction Magazine podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please share it and spread the love. Remember to go to rawattractionmagazine.com forward slash download to get your free copy of the Raw Attraction Magazine. Until next time, we wish you a loving, sexy, and intimate week.